0: The
1: Mud Puppy games. Network. 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 Hi, Tim Cask here. Facing a TV and don't know what to do? Well you might if you had listened to Save for Half. <laughs>
0: Welcome to the Save the Path Podcast, where we'll talk about old school games and modern games inspired by them.
1: everyone welcome to the safer app podcast podcast where we cover old school games and the modern games inspired by them i am one of your hosts dm mike who will be playing a basic fighter this game and joining me is our ranger dm liz
0: danger ranger dm liz
1: (laughs) our magic user dm jim (laughs) <laughs> I only had four hit points. Oh no, we lost another first level magic I user. stepped on an acorn. Damn, oh, damn. that happens so much. And of course, our paladin assassin multi-class. Oh wait, just paladin, sorry. We don't, he's not an, an assassin. Never an assassin, ever. No. DM Corbett.
2: <laughs> For king and country. He simply
0: <laughs> is the worshipper of the god of assassins. But yeah. he himself is not an assassin.
2: I use my two-handed dagger of righteousness. D and D is a mini splendor
3: thing, Corbett. I think ring race qualified as paladins too. So,
1: <laughs> what is it being here? You worship Kali Durga. I, I don't get a anyway. Oh. <laughs> anyway. As one might gather, we are covering the Player's Handbook, first edition, published in 1978, with the great Wait, cover.
2: Are you hmm? talking about advanced? Dungeons and Dragons? Sorry,
1: the advanced Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs>
2: oh, we're not oh, playing some little there. kids game, Buster. Yeah, <laughs> uh,
1: yeah, in a box with chits or
3: something.
2: Oh. <laughs> it's advanced. It so. is the
3: game Liz's favorite rule system directs you to go play after you finish playing it. Very true. <laughs> Constantly.
1: Sometimes for no reason at all. But anyway, before we start heading into this, does anyone have any announcements?
2: I kind of do. Mm. Only as a warning.
1: <laughs> a cautionary tale?
2: A cautionary tale is a funny oh bit. My. Uh, nope. Believe it or not, I do talk to my family the, about before the podcast goes on, and they always <laughs> ask me, like, oh, what are you doing? They're, oh, we're reviewing some game. It's about, you know, it's space slappers. It's, you know, real housewives of space, and you just slap each other. It's really kind of dull, blah, 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 blah. But I'll talk about it for 20, 30 minutes and realize they stopped listening to me about 25 minutes before. And. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, this this week they were like, oh, what are you what are you doing this week? And like, oh, we're doing uh, Advanced Dungeons and Dragons, the player's handbook. And like everything stopped in the room. And like, I'm pretty sure a bird froze midair and looked over with that kind of what?
0: (laughs) You're (laughs) actually covering a game we've heard of.
2: I don't think you can do that, dad. (laughs) You can only cover the role
1: playing game. (laughs)
2: <laughs> but I assured them that Mike has called Wizards of the Coast and cleared everything, so we are safe.
1: <laughs> well, I shouted at them. Does that count?
2: <laughs> sure. Yelling at clouds doesn't count, Mike. You know oh, that. Oh,
1: man. What if I was pointed <laughs> toward uh, Seattle? Does that count?
2: <laughs> sure. Sure. Okay.
3: We're the milder, friendlier podcast. We don't get, you know, tweet bans and c and from Watsy. <laughs> I just
2: thought it was funny. It was the most (laughs) extreme reaction I could have gotten from my family over something silly.
1: Okay. So everyone, remember, without eternal vigilance, it can happen here. (laughs) I have an announcement. Yay! More just uh, information I found interesting. There is a first edition AD&D podcast out there. That's not Roll for Initiative.
3: I was going to say, you know, there's
1: always Roll for Initiative. (laughs) Yeah, but it's been dead years now. It's mm. called Grog Talk. It It seems weekly, but I think it's really bi-weekly. They have an episode and then the next week, they basically give you all the extras of special material from the first they didn't have time for, because it's a long podcast. It's like
3: mm. an hour and a half, two hours.
0: And that's wow. after they've cut out the extra bits? Yep. Wow.
1: Yeah. Remember the
3: good old days when we could do that, when none of us had anything better to do? <laughs> no. Anyway... That one of the things they do is support
1: something called GrogCon, which is apparently a convention in Orlando, Florida, mm-hmm. which I had not heard of before I found GrogTalk. I'll have links in the show notes to the podcast and to, you know, their GrogCon page. Uh, Orlando's a bit of a hike for us, but still, you know, it's nice to know that there are more gro- Grognerd-based cons going on out there. Anyway... I wanted to throw that out there because we don't have enough old school esque cons out there. So
0: yeah. and there might be some listeners who are even closer than we are. Yeah. It's like, hey, there's a grog con
3: in Orlando. <laughs> I did not know
0: that. <laughs> That's well, only let- an hour away from me. <laughs>
3: yeah. well, I too live in Florida. Let me put my Dungeon Cross
1: classics down for a minute. <laughs> <laughs> And yeah, I looked at some of their events. They're on tabletop. And yeah, they do have a a decent DCC line going, too. So, you know, it's not simply old, old, old games. They do the modern games inspired by them. where have I heard that before? No idea. No, not a clue. All right. Well, we're going to have a pod break. And then Mike and the Mechanics.
3: To a world without nearly enough quality gamer podcasts they came. The Grognard Files, a podcast about role-playing games from back in the day. You know they're experts because they speak with British accents. Find them at armchairadventureblog.com, iTunes, or wherever fine podcasts are served.
0: Open your mind to new Dungeons & Dragons computer game from Mattel Electronics. It will lead your imagination down a dungeon labyrinth wherein lies the dragon's treasure. Steal his treasure, but make no false moves. For in Dungeons & Dragons, a dead end is a dead end. New Dungeons & Dragons from Mattel Electronics.
1: This portion of the show is being brought to you by Heat Rash. Yes, when searching for an uncomfortable skin condition to induce hot flashes and itching, more people choose Heat Rash than the next three dermatological conditions combined. Heat Rash, it's
3: 100% natural.
2: It's time for Mike and the Mechanics. Sorry, 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 that's Mike, Mike in the and the Mechanics of the okay. game. My bad.
1: Okay, Mike and the Mechanics, I feel a little weird here. This is how you play Dungeons and Dragons.
2: <laughs> Advanced Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> which
1: is a completely <laughs> different game. As stated repeatedly in Dragon Magazine at the time, I'll just note a few things that I found very surprising. They had the six attributes, although in slightly wrong order, they have Strength, Intelligence, Wisdom, Dexterity, Constitution, Charisma. When it's all right-thinking people know, it's Strength, Intelligence, Wisdom, Constitution, Dexterity, Charisma. Right on. (laughs) And that they range between 3 and 18. However, it does not
3: actually tell you how to roll those stats up. Oh, no, it says your Dungeon Master knows that. It's his and book. It will tell you.
1: Yeah. Now, it never struck me at the time, probably because I already had Holmes Basics, so I already knew how to roll up the characters, but that just struck me as, who would sell a game today like that? Yeah, you know, We're not even going to give you
3: the core mechanic of the game.
0: To make up your own characters.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, Real, I mean, no combat tables, no roll of d twenty, nothing.
1: No saving throws, no turn title, no turntables, turntables, turning on dead tables. We we know <laughs> what it, we mean. Although, wouldn't it be cool to have d d book and records? You know, like little. Er, little <laughs> the, audio that adventure. you can scratch
3: back and forth
1: like a DJ?
2: Yeah,
1: <laughs> or play backwards to get our satanic messages.
0: Ooh. Well, remember those old breakfast cereals where you would cut out the back of the cereal box, and oh. it was oh, the yeah. record. It a was really, the record, really crappy
1: record. Yeah, you, you guys can't inside, be old enough for that.
0: Inside we are. The book,
2: Kellogg's. They did it.
0: Have a cardstock piece in the inside the book itself, and you cut it out to make the little record and put it on.
1: Or when I was growing up in the seventies, there was a a burger chain called Burger Chef in my town. And one of the things they had in their little pseudo happy meals was a vinyl, but it was like a very floppy vinyl, you know, almost like what you would make to cover windows with or something. And they had little vinyl records like that. They could put that in the back of the books. Okay. We're getting
3: off topic here. <laughs> no, no, Liz, Liz is talking like you get your box of honeycombs and it's the Archie's or Bobby Sherman. Yeah. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm.
3: Cause honeycomb's big.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: It's not
2: small. No, no, no.
1: (laughs) No, no, no. (laughs) It's going to be one of those podcasts. (laughs) Yeah, D20 for combat. You look at the tables, or you will when you get the Dungeon Master's Guide. Although, Dragon Magazine did publish the tables for you to get by with temporarily until the DM's Guide came out. So that was interesting. And nice if you actually had a subscription to, to Dragon Magazine. But anyway... The usual suspects. I think we all know them. And now let's head into first impressions. Corvette.
2: Oh, gee, I don't know. I don't remember getting Here, it. Get
1: to <laughs>
3: <laughs> That's what you get.
2: No, 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 no. Okay, first impressions of rereading it. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go with first impressions of. I'll go with both because I, my first impression of getting it, I was, I got a used copy from the Pea Picker book. It's like a, an old bookstore we used. And, I remember
1: um, Pea Picker. It's still around.
2: I got it. I got it for three dollars because the cover and the front and back cover were cut off, so I had like just the pages. But
1: I wonder if it was the satanic covers that.
2: Uh, well, it doesn't matter. It got burned just the same. So, <laughs> <laughs> But it was uh, one of my first books. And I was like, yes, I have the book. I have it. Nobody believed it was a real book because they thought I photocopied it or something. Like <laughs> Nobody has photocopiers, not then.
0: <laughs> and like I could afford to photocopy a hundred yeah. and something pages.
2: <laughs> it's like real money.
1: On both sides.
2: Rereading it now, because um, I, have, I have both copies, the uh, the first print and the second print. And uh, it was identical, as far as I could tell.
1: Yeah, they didn't change it. They didn't even fix the errata.
2: The art's still pretty fun to, to go through and brings back a lot of old memories, uh, rules. Actually, there's a lot of stuff, and I know everybody's going to say this. I didn't realize that was that way. We just yeah. kind of <laughs> presumed it was this other way.
0: Yeah, or I forgot that this was in there. You know.
2: Yeah, but it all comes back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It all comes back. Fun memories, okay. fun memories. Uh, Still a good game. I think it's still playable. It's just sort of a uh, dusting off the old tome, I guess, is what it felt like. Okay. Jim? Um, My first impression is I'm
3: just helpless before this book because it was my first purchase, my first gaming purchase ever as a young 18-year-old uh, introductee to Dungeons and & Dragons. And uh, it's the uh, background I use on Zoom most often. It's the cover. And I also have one entire wall of my office covered with a reproduction of the art as a giant curtain, thanks to Zach Glazer. My brother uses it to freak out people to visit the office that he doesn't want to spend a lot of time with. Oh, and
2: just
3: <laughs> here in our medical device company, this is where my brother works. <laughs> dun, dun, dun.
2: <laughs> Welcome to the dungeon.
3: Just to remind everyone, <laughs> the
1: cover of the first uh, Player's Handbook had a giant demon idol on the front with a flaming brazier in its hands. Granted, there were adventures around it, kind of taking the gems out of its eyes, having killed all of its worshipers and everything, but most
2: people didn't really notice that. Well, and they're still kind of fighting on the back. Oh, no, they're not. I thought they were still fighting on the back cover.
0: Yeah, <laughs> guy's just cleaning his sword.
2: <laughs> yep, yep. really so,
0: yeah. important.
3: I know I was older than you guys in 79, but, I mean, this was the book I hugged at night. <laughs> 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 okay, Liz?
0: All right, first impressions. Well, when I first got these AD&D hardbacks as a kid usually for Christmas or birthday presents from my parents. Um, I remember, you know, after having gotten them, you know, opened up the wrapping, it's like, ah, and I remember sitting sideways on our couch and just going through them from cover to cover. I mean, I just read from the beginning all the way through to the very end. You know, I just spent hours after getting them. And prepping for this episode brought back those memories as I once again sat sideways on our couch, (laughs) pouring over the player's handbook just like when I first got it. Surrounded by cats. Yeah, we Mm -hmm. didn't have cats when I was a kid, so that was the only (laughs) difference. I now have cats. But yeah, and I still have my original player's handbook. And that was the one that I looked through when I was getting ready for the show. I've got little handwritten notes in places about my thoughts on things <laughs> and it's like...
3: commentary.
0: Commentary, yes. Oh, um,
3: book stuff like decades of finger oils embedded in it. Yes, <laughs> there,
0: there there are stains on some of the pages from you know fingerprints and I spilled Coke or something on them. It's like, eh. <laughs> yeah, I just my very first impression of getting this was i just remember being so engrossed and i soaked it all in now that i'm looking over it again you know i've been playing the game for decades there there's still a little bit of the magic still there going through the going through the books again like that
1: okay my first impression Much like Jim, this was my first purchase myself because the basic, the Holmes basic set was a Christmas present. When I joined the Delta Area Wargamers, they were briefly had a time where they were still playing Little Brown Book, but there was no no place I could buy those. So I just borrowed them until everybody started moving to, you know, the full. Advanced Dungeons & Dragons, they waited till all three books were out, I guess, before moving over. Then it was like, oh, okay, I can go to KB Toys and, and actually buy this. And I did, and I flipped through it. I loved it as a kid. Reading through it again, I still liked it a lot. But for some reason, it didn't quite have the same magic to me as I thought it did. Now, maybe that's because I really tended to enjoy the Dungeon Master's Guide more but it doesn't really have the same appeal to me as it as the Holmes basic book did. And that was a surprise to me. Not that I'm saying I didn't like it. I did. It just didn't quite have that nostalgia tweak to me that I thought it would.
2: Mm.
0: Even though the word milieu was used quite a lot?
1: And <laughs> Dwyomer. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that was, it was surprising. Gary liked milieu. He really, really did. All right, well, after our first impressions, let's head into top five.
2: The Save for Half Top Five in 5, four, three, two.
1: And now I'll turn it around and start with Liz. You're welcome.
0: <laughs> All righty, number five. Well, I guess I will start off with one of the first things that you read in the book. Not the foreword, which is the very first thing, but the preface. So you've got the foreword, then you have the preface, and then you have the introduction. Um, <laughs> but in the preface, I thought it was very interesting where at one point he's talking, Gary is talking about the game having uniformity as opposed to conformity, and that it means, among other things, he mentions, the campaign is neither a giveaway show nor a killer. And then he also makes a point of mentioning, he specifically mentions, you will find no baseless limits arbitrarily placed on female strength or male charisma, no ponderous combat systems for greater realism, and I kind of wondered, was that a direct response to the Lynn Lakofka dragon article about um, playing, you know, the distaff character and you know limits and stuff for the for the female versions of the characters? And yet, though. Later on, just a few pages later, in the strength table, there's a maximum limit for uh, for female fighters' Liz. strength at 1850.
1: <laughs> no, baseless.
0: Oh.
1: See, that's the word there.
0: Yes, there, there's no limits arbitrarily placed on female strength. Well, maybe there is a little. <laughs>
3: that, that uterus is going to cost you 50 off at of 18100.
0: I, I know, mm-hmm. I know. He is absolutely right in that there are no limits to male charisma, though. That that totally checked out. Um.
1: <laughs> You've hit a strength class ceiling. Oh, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I, I I would think maybe. I would also think that may be some digs at a lot of the criticism that Gygax was getting in the fanzines of the era of the 70s.
0: Yeah, especially when he mentions, you know, there aren't any ponderous combat, combat systems. systems for realism, realism. in quotes. Mm.
1: <laughs> for those interested in more, read The Elusive Shift by John Peterson. Oh, yeah. Do <laughs> read Available
0: <it>. now. <laughs>
1: At fine bookstores and Amazon.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay, so that's your five?
0: That's my five. Okay. Corbett, your
1: five.
2: I'll go ahead and uh, the the monster thing I thought uh, page 40 uh, monster the term I thought it was really neat I never noticed this before which is funny I took it for granted I guess or maybe maybe I just didn't read it but um, they actually straight up have a great explanation why they reference every encounter you have as a monster. And it's it's basically that that's what it is. A monster could be good, bad, and different, whatever. But a monster is just an encounter, and I, I it's a, like a little paragraph or two to just discuss it. I love that the very last sentence, specifically quoted: uh, "All monsters are not bad." I thought that was kind of nice. Not necessarily like oh, I, I know uh, before the show started, we talked about good, bad orcs and whatever, but like it's an encounter. An encounter can be anything it needs to be. So a monster. Is just that. I like that. Very subtle.
1: Yeah. I then they didn't be... put a
2: single monster in, so it doesn't matter. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it could be misremembering, but I don't even think Holmes really described that very well. I I, I don't recall hitting another good description of the term monster in that context until the Mulvey basic book.
2: I just thought it was funny. They, they went through the, the whole trouble of explaining, like, th- this is a monster. Like, mm-hmm. okay, I, I was just figured a monster's a monster, but good Good clarification. Monster's a monster's a monster. And you don't have to always check their spleen for emeralds. Well, you always have to. No, Especially you if they're good. Get to!
3: <laughs> you don't gotta, but we're, we're gonna. <laughs> you get to! But yeah. I'm still
2: alive!
3: Shut up!
1: Shh. Quiet, you! Quiet, you! We gave you a ring of regeneration. What
2: more do you want?
3: Anyway. Okay, Jim, you're 5. Know, I'm just going to deep dive straight in. My number 5 is the thing in this book that blew my mind, the, the biggest when I first got it, and that was the debut of the Gary Gygax, Dave Trampier illustrated cosmology chart of the planes. Mm. Inner and outer planes. I uh I had not caught up the back issues of Dragon Magazine then, so it just hit me out of the cold blue. I think Gary did a version of this in Dragon 8 that I've obviously since seen, but this was like the debut in the rule system of Gary's cosmology and how everything works and which planes. And it's, I mean, you know, I've got uh, two characters I just rolled up, a first-level magic user and a first-level thief, and I'm like, oh, Elysium, I want to go there. <laughs> you know, Elemental <laughs> plane of fire, that sounds fun.
0: I only have four hit points, but I think I can take it.
1: (laughs) But uh, yeah, I mean, love it or hate it, that uh, schematic has become iconic. I don't know if any of you watch Community, but in their G.I. Joe episode... At one point, one of the characters is trying to explain why they're trapped in the cartoon and the layers of having to break out to go to the world of car- of commercials and only then could they get back to the real world. The chart that fourth wall puts up on the wall is that chart from <laughs> straight from the player's handbook. So I thought that was cool.
2: You got to go back and rewatch that now.
1: <laughs> yeah, Liz pointed it out to me and I was like, ah, that's awesome.
3: Do you know what I mean? It's the late 70s, and I've seen some Lord of the Rings cartoon movies and stuff, but they didn't do any of that stuff. They didn't go to the elemental plane of fire. Mm -hmm. I was all in right from the get-go. Nope. Alrighty,
1: my five. I'm starting at the foreword. It's written by Mike Carr, and he talks about the concept of players. Good players, bad players, obnoxious players, how players act, how they shouldn't act, what they need, what they don't need, and all this stuff. And it really struck me reading this this was written probably in 1977 the way publishing took so i'm thinking this could be written about the gaming hobby today
2: with absolutely
1: no changes whatsoever (laughs) i mean none of it well back in the golden age no it was the same it was human beings and the way we behave now we didn't have social media to really spread it out there as quickly as we do but
2: we had fanzines
1: well, it took a little longer to get out, but yeah, we had fanzines <laughs> to scream at Gary Gygax to tell him why he sucks as a game designer, <sighs>
3: and his combat system isn't real enough. You know, we still had game conventions where Tim Cass could cuss you out for knocking him out of the a- a- Aces tournament. <laughs> yep. Um,
1: actually, your decision of you know the way alignment <laughs> works is completely wrong.
2: <laughs>
1: so yeah. Anyway, that really struck me, Liz. Four.
0: Number four. Well, one of the things that I was reminded of, reading through the book again, was how often we ignored things like class exclusions for non-human characters. I mean, everyone talks about whether or not campaigns, you whether or not you do the level limits for non-human characters, but we also ignored the class exclusions. It's like, do you want a gnome ranger? Go for it. Halfling magic user, why not? Half-orc paladin, yes, please.
2: (laughs) (laughs)
1: Well, I wouldn't have allowed a half-orc paladin back then.
0: I think that would be awesome. You're
1: just (laughs) being picky, Mike. (laughs) (laughs) You stole one of mine, darn it.
0: Sorry. (laughs) I almost never played in a campaign where we were actually doing that. It's like, oh, you're a gnome, you can't be a ranger. It's like it's like, it's like well, if you have a good reason to be a ranger, I'll allow it. And to be fair, I do understand why a lot of these limitations and seemingly arbitrary rules were put in. You know, they were trying to create a system of balances and to stop everyone from trying to jig the character to where I have all of the advantages of this race coupled with the advantages of this class. And so now I'm a super character. Honestly, I didn't run into that an awful lot. Well, that and probably
1: was due to the people you were playing with.
0: I guess. And I I will admit, when I first started playing the game, I was much more enamored with playing non-human races because it was just so strange and unusual and interesting. But it's gotten to the point now where nine times out of 10, I will play a human or at least a half human. I don't often want to play a full elf or a halfling or a dwarf or whatever. I'd normally just go for humans now despite yeah. the fact that well if i played an elf i'd get infravision and do all this other cool stuff too it's like uh eh, you know so yeah
3: like, i I've <laughs> and in part it speaks to the same thing mike was talking about how like this generation thinks they invented every controversy in the game and no you didn't invent anything it's just human nature we we were power gaming and trying to power build characters right from the start yeah or or am i wrong or was that just our group <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, I ran into the to the min maxers all the time. Of course, you know gaming with teenage boys will tend to do that all right uh,
2: Corbett you know speaking of how Liz is racist
0: yeah, yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> something I I came across and I'd forgotten it was there actually was uh, the racial preference chart it's like on uh, page 18. oh notes. yeah. I'd forgotten about how like oh if you're this then you have to hate that race because of this, <laughs> and I I it's it's I understand it's a Tolkien esque callback <laughs> to you know dwarves don't like elves and like I get that but it's funny how they they exact out every single race you can play and make sure to cross reference that with every other race and like who hates Unless who the you're most
0: human and then you're yeah. mad about yeah. everybody
2: <laughs> you're, you're neutral all <laughs> like, the time eh. <laughs> it's like You know, I'm not the guy who's like, that's racist, but you know what? That's kind of racist.
3: (laughs) Well, and and it's not binary because there's tolerate, tolerance. They have tolerance for that race. That's true.
2: I just thought it was funny. I did not remember that being there at all. Elves
1: sitting around going, damn dwarves, coming to the forest, stealing our jobs. But
2: I do remember referencing back to it, playing the game. Like, wait, do I hate him? Do I not hate him? Just a minute. Who do I hate? Who, who is it? Let me check. Give, give me a minute. Who Carry the table over. do I hate? Down, down to bar three. Right. I don't like him. The hate
1: <laughs> table. The hatrix.
0: Oh.
2: hey. I- they
1: missed a real opportunity there. They should have named that the Hatrix. That would have been awesome. Anyway.
0: I'm not going to be able to talk anymore.
3: <laughs> You're welcome.
2: You better check okay. the table to see if you still like me or not. <laughs> it,
3: was, it was just medieval fantasy. Okay. I've, I, are we friends? Do I follow you? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And as far
1: as, you know, for initial reaction of NPCs to you, it could be useful. But again, one wonders that should be in the DM's guide, not to the player's handbook. But anyway.
3: Okay, Jim, (laughs) four? Uh, My number four is, I'm getting old, man. I thought I was losing my mind in the middle of rereading this book. My very first two characters from my very first DM learning to play. He had us roll up two. Why do I need to roll up two? You'll find out why. And I did. Because one was Fred the Magic User, who, like, first adventure, died, bam, gone. And the second one was Flavin, son of Rybo, who started out as a thief. Ah. I, I always didn't take the names too seriously. that. I um, <laughs> who did?
0: That is awesome.
3: <laughs> and uh, Flavin started out as a thief, but he had – I'm like, you know, pouring over the book. I'm like, wait a minute. I've got the stats to do this. So he did five levels as a thief, five levels as a fighter, and then became a bard. And I'm Mm. reading through the book, and I can't wait to get to the Bard class to reread up on my old friend Flavin. And I'm going through the player classes and can't find it. Well, it's in the back of the book, in Appendix 2. It's Mm. the first official supplemental class for AD&D was the Bard.
2: Yeah. Oh, man. You took one of mine.
3: (laughs) (laughs) But I'm so charming that you'll love it. Uh. Let me play you a tune. (laughs) It was so much work to get to be a bard, and then we were so obnoxious at, as teenagers, that was the DM we pissed off so bad he blew
2: his universe up and spent half an hour doing it. So <laughs> I, Flavin, Flavin never even got to throw a spell. Aww. It was ridiculous, the requirements you had to go through to be a bard. I mean, insane. Nowadays, it's a throwaway character. Yeah.
1: <laughs> but it's okay, because they suck. So yeah. you know, Whereas bards could kick major ass in in 1E, e, but they were so rare... Except yep. apparently in Jim's game, <laughs>
3: mm-hmm. so
2: do you, you get, get to challenge Bart anyone Assassin. to
1: a rock off?
3: <laughs> no, 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 no. I mean, I, I first level where you're just starting out stuff, and I, you know, took my fifteen percent chance to charm some monsters and failed, and then the universe blew up later. So <laughs> that same game. We're not saying Jim caused the destruction of this campaign,
2: <laughs> but
0: we're not not saying it. Oh, That's oh right. right.
3: It was three of us and we were all 18. So if you're out there listening, Dave Adams, Judy McClone, and Jim Wampler caused our first DM Lonnie Barnett to blow his universe up and not run for a few years. We were that obnoxious at that age.
1: <laughs> wow. Okay. Well, my four. There's a certain naivete to the player's handbook. And I say that because there's so much in there. I have kind of implied it earlier in First Impressions but or Mike in the Mechanics I should say. But there's so much in here that isn't in here. Like I say, none of the tables, none of this, none of that. And it kept said, well, you should ask your DM, not check the DM's guide.
0: Because yeah, it wasn't out yet. <laughs> <laughs> well, Even if
1: it was, the whole idea was players don't look at the DM's guide. Only DMs look at the DM's guide. DMs look at the player's guide, but players will never look at
3: the DM's guide because that was the rules. Which was exactly why we all started our own universes, right? <laughs> right.
1: Or, you know, even just the matter of people get tired of DMing. And so someone else steps up to DM. Well, they've got to read the DM's guide, you know, and pretty soon everybody's or you've got min-maxers <clears throat> Todd, who uh, <laughs> would look at the DM's guide to try to min-max spells and such. And Let's just stop and think about that. Can anyone imagine any role-playing game, even in the last 20 years, that would take on this idea? It's just, it's baffling to me. I don't think anyone would. I don't think anyone has ever since this.
3: It was kind of adorable that they ever even thought it.
1: Right. Mm -hmm. And I know at the very beginning, from what I've read anyway, that Gygax really felt most players don't even need a player's handbook. They don't even need rules. The DM will tell them everything, and it basically just be a narrative exchange. And the DM would basically know all the rules and thus roll the dice, and thus you have weird things of the DM rolling the thief's skill dice for them behind the screen and telling them that they succeed or fail. Well,
3: right. Like, there are places in od d where it says the DM rolls all the dice, including yours. Right, and...
1: From a narrative point of view, I can see that. But can you imagine trying to do that in any D&D game today? You'd be murderized by your players. Because it's just the tenant, you know? You roll the dice for your own character stuff. That's just what we accept now. And so it's weird, but also it's kind of, a, like you said, Jim, kind of adorable that they thought this way. And I know it was the first role-playing game, and games were just starting to... St- you know, trying to get their paradigms down. But, you know, this is 1977-78. D&D had been out for four years. There were several other RPGs out by then. It still strikes me odd that they could have been that naive. But anyway, Liz, three.
0: I do want to rebut before I give my three. At one point earlier on in the book, Gary is talking about how part of the magic of the game is that initial sense of... Not knowing what's going to happen or not knowing, you know, all the monster stats, not knowing the secrets that are hidden being revealed is part of the joy. And I think that is sort of what he was trying to maintain by, well, you don't know whether or not you actually succeeded. You didn't find any traps But was it because there were no traps or because you failed your your trap roll? You don't know. And I guess realistically, you know, if you were doing it in real life, you also wouldn't know if you'd failed or not until that needle stuck you in the finger or something. Uh,
1: That is a valid point. That is true. Very well, Counselor. I'll allow it.
0: Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) So I think that's what he was trying for with that, but in actual reality it didn't quite the cards didn't fall that way really right okay my number 3 speaking of finding traps failing and you know other thief like stuff reading through this you know we were talking about how we had forgotten things and i had forgotten because i don't often play thieves you know, I remembered about backstabbing and double damage, but I had forgotten that you get a plus four to hit when you're attempting to backstab. Oh. It's like, it's like, oh, yeah, you do do that, don't you? It's like, I totally re- did not remember that part. It's like, oh, it's pretty cool. <laughs>
1: and even for years now, we've been playing in Chase's 2e game.
3: I don't think you've ever played a thief.
0: I don't think I have either. <laughs>
3: yeah. <laughs> This is why Loki is such a good backstabber in the MCU. Because imagine, he's already a demigod and then plus four on top of that.
0: I you know, right?
3: <laughs> as long as
1: you're not fighting an alligator, you're good.
0: Oh, well. <laughs> Although he got his plus four. <laughs>
1: That's for sure. Okay. Uh, Corbett?
2: Oh, one thing. I and mean, Actually, Liz kind of mentioned it before with the strength. I I had forgotten about it. I think mostly because at the time I, I I totally was like, yeah, strength goes 18 and then it goes up for fighters. And I kind of thought that was dumb rereading it that just was... because like, why don't, why don't wizards have an 18 and up Intel? Why don't clerics have an 18 and up wisdom or something like I that? I think it that was unnecessary. I think that was
1: imported from the Greyhawk Brown book. In the little brown books, and I think it was an attempt to try to make fighters still kind of cool, even compared to paladins or other types. Without yeah. breaking
3: the 18 max.
1: That being stated, I I agree with you kind of, pretty much. Yeah. It's like, why do the percentile? It just seems needlessly complex.
2: Well, another level of something, I guess. Uh, it It's fine. It was just one of those things. One of those things.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean... I think 2E was the last time it was out. After that, they pretty much chucked it. So, you know, mm. except Hackmaster, which then put in all attributes or percentile now. So,
3: okay, Jim. There was a kid at Gateway Games that was obsessed with playing an 18 double zero character paladin in Expedition to Barrier Peaks when Todd ran it for us. And Todd's rules was, okay, you have to roll the character legit. I don't care how many times it takes. And this 15 year old kid spent an entire Saturday in the store doing it until he got it. (laughs) (laughs) It was kind of awesome. The energy you have when you're 15. Yeah, I be- I can believe it. Our DM
1: in the Delta Area Wargamers, you know, when they were starting to get medium to ho- medium levels, and we were wanting to have uh, armies to fight it out on the Greyhawk game, his his line was, "You can have as many soldiers as you can sit there, roll up, and put on paper." And we kind of did the same thing with with like a couple of hundred soldiers each. Mm. It was it was harsh, but we did it. <laughs>
0: uh, I remember making out just full pages of lined notebook paper of NPCs. I would roll out stats, create, it's like, okay, this is a dwarf, this is an elf, this is a human. You know, I just make these one line, every single line, you know, for pages on notebook paper, any possible type of NPC that you could run into. And I gave them all names and I spent hours on that.
1: (laughs) And then they put out Rogues Gallery. Pretty much. <laughs> yeah. And
0: a lot better than what I did on my own. So <laughs> <laughs> uh,
3: my number three. That's where we were. <laughs> <laughs> right. I kind of forgot. Uh, my number three was gonna be racial limits and gender limits, but th- that already kinda got picked. But that was the very first rule we ignored in the rule book. We just who cares? You can cast lightning bolts <laughs> in this game. Who cares?
1: Yeah. Well, even Gygax later on, you know, said if there's something he regretted in A D and D, it was female strength limits. It's like you're playing dwarves and elves in a fantasy game. Why are we doing this? So I'm going to deep dive
3: into the spells. If you find yourself out there in listener land playing a magic user or a druid in an AD&D game, always memorize Polymorph Self if you're the magic user or always play a druid high enough level to do the animal change three times a day because both of those are self-heals. When you get done polymorph and self, you get a D12 of hit points back. When you get done changes as an animal, you get hit points back. Kind of a poor man's cure light wounds. You know, don't cry for the cleric. Just memorize the right spells.
2: Yeah.
1: Okay. Nine number three. Um, has anybody here ever played a first edition illusionist or monk? No. Nope. I've seen the illusionist play, but I never played one. I played the monk. You played a monk? Mm hmm. How many times?
2: Mm, probably uh two, three times. They die just about as easily as a magic user without spells, so Yeah.
1: <laughs> but you at least chose it two or three times. That's impressive. Couple
2: times. It was because I I thought it was kinda cool. I liked um uh Chen Kang from um uh Kung Fu. Kung, Kung Fu. Well Yeah. And that was I think what they were trying to sort of go for. Kind according of. According to Tim, that was the source material. Yeah. And that's, it. Felt like it felt like that because you talk to animals and you meditate, and it's nothing like the Oriental Adventures monk. It's mm-hmm. it's kind of a weird mix between the European and that Kui kang type monk. I'm not sure if I'm getting the name right, but the Kung Fu monk.
3: Yeah, <laughs> David Carradine.
2: Yeah. Well, I... But I would. I think I tried to keep using the fist weapons only because I, I think the first time I played, I didn't think I could use weapons, and I found out later I could. So later, I like. Oh, I can have a club. Awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, my grouse is I have
1: never run into anyone who's wanted to run these classes ever until now. Because
2: Corbett, sorry,
0: they barely (laughs) mentioned the illusionist in here.
2: Yeah, it's like they talk about magic user,
0: and then oh, you can also be an illusionist. Here's two paragraphs.
1: You're right.
2: You're right. Really? You know. (laughs) Thanks. Yeah, your, your, your number one spell is this your card? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm
3: a gnome. What's that? Oh, you're just a junior dwarf. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> you live under
1: trees or hills instead of mountains. There you go. But yeah, I know the monk came from Blackmoor, and I know the illusionist came from the strategic review. But I think the illusionist was a little more interesting from the strategic review, much like the bard was, than the one in AD&D. The monk, I just never really got. Maybe it's because yeah. I didn't watch Kung Fu, so yeah. maybe
2: I just. Well, didn't I never have this... played a bard because only crazy people play them. Yeah.
0: <laughs> well, you got to be part of a really long-running campaign
2: to yeah, even make it the first
0: level bard in the first place. It
2: would take your whole life to become. A bard. Yeah. <laughs> well,
3: I mean. Uh... there's there's stuff all like that like the psionics okay so you were inspired by dr strange comics i see what you're trying to do sorry it doesn't work yeah
2: yeah that was really confusing i didn't i didn't write down psionics just because that that seemed like a confusing one to even bring up but anyway i won't bring it up (laughs) (laughs) anymore nope not beyond that (laughs) or this all right liz two
0: number two okay I don't want to steal Jim's thunder about talking about specific spells, etc. But I do want to mention how amazing reading over the higher level spell lists is. Back in the day, I treated it like a wish list of what I wanted to be able to someday do as a magic user. It's mm-hmm. like, ooh. It's like I want to I want to cast that. I want to cast that. It's like, "Oh, fly." It's like, "Oh, wish." Yes. It's like, and that being said, I've never played a high enough level character to ever be able to use a ninth level spell. <laughs> <laughs> so that's still kind of wish level magic in and of itself right there. But yeah, I would just kind of check off like one day I'm going to learn this spell and I'm going to get this spell.
3: <laughs> oh, dude, I now you're gonna force me to run an AD&D game and give you like an 18th level magic user because it <laughs> is, it is so sweet. After you I, your way up, it's like uh, ensign mariner on Star Trek lower decks. I do what I want. <laughs>
0: yeah. it's mean, I I think fifth level spells is as high as I've ever gotten as far as you know character level being able to cast. Yeah. It's like man, I'd love to do. Ninth level one know. day.
1: The campaigns ninth level either stop though. or Liz gets bored of the character.
0: I do. And it's a, it's a shame, too. It's like, I'd like to have the, the experience of doing it. But I'll admit, I really, really like how the struggle of the low-level character. You know, everything is harder. And it just, it seems to be a, a meteor game experience when you're playing low level and, and I just really find myself wanting to go back to that. Once I get to a certain point in a character's life cycle.
2: Okay. Corbett too. I was just going to actually follow up on, on Liz with this. Most of those really high level spells, and I'm pretty sure Jim might be able to confirm this. They're all like rituals, aren't they? I mean, they, they take like a long time to do in the game.
1: Some day real life. I don't know. Others but... don't fly.
3: <laughs> and
2: are they? it uh... depends on the spell. I mean, they were always cool to think about.
3: Some <laughs> of them do take a turn to cast, and that's a long time in combat. Yeah. If your combat's gone a whole turn, you screwed up.
2: Well, I just remember mm-hmm. like Wish or Permanent Wish or whatever it was was like nine segments or 12 segments or something. Some that's a turn. Pretty long number. A hell of a... And yeah. it, was, it was... Actually, uh, like, that's uh, a round.
1: That's a hair yeah. over a round.
2: You, you get so used to those fun little like magic missile, magic missile, magic missile, and you, you feel pretty cool, but...
0: I'll you tell know. you what, though. Power word kill... That's just one word. Yeah,
2: that's true. true.
0: (laughs) You are done.
2: Okay. Okay. I'll shut up. (laughs) Anyway. No, it's your two. My my number two. So I'll start talking again. (laughs) Let's talk about money.
0: (laughs) Oh, let's please. Okay, you've got my
2: interest. No, no. This was, this was just a funny... I, I always look at the, the uh, stuff you can buy and things and like, how does it add up? How does that add out? Totally arbitrary, but I looked at the top of the livestock list because you can buy a livestock. You know, chicken's three copper. Hey, cool. Chicken's great. Everybody loves chicken. Everything tastes like chicken. Why not? Then a cow is 10 gold and a cow is pretty good. There's a lot of good meat in a cow. And then a guard dog is 25 gold and you know that's going to be delicious. <laughs> <laughs> and then I the hawk cost, is 40 gold so that's one heck of a chicken based yeah. on flavor i I, <laughs> I think you're reading too much into this mike you gotta go on the reality <laughs> go
3: with your gut huh Yep. Mm. literally I was- poor glenn spending that 25 gold every north texas con
2: for his dog
0: <laughs> and managed to kill him right out the gate
2: yep but it was delicious anyway that's it Okay.
3: <laughs>
0: well, the zombies certainly thought
3: so. What does the second room of B1 look like? Don't ask Glenn's dogs. They don't yeah.
2: know. <laughs> <laughs>
3: but they're delicious.
2: At least twice as delicious as a cow. <laughs>
3: <laughs> okay, Jim, two? My number two is what Gary did with the magic system specific to the codification of verbal, somatic, and material spell components. There's a real... Genius and just an insane amount of work he put into something that was the second rule we ignored in the game after <laughs> racial limits and gender limits. I mean, verbal and somatic, if you were tied up or couldn't talk, you can cast a spell. But material components is the first thing that tracking those down were the first thing that just went out, went by the wayside because it's uh, it's worse than encumbrance for just constantly. Something constantly to keep track of in game on paper with a pencil that does not contribute to the fun at all. At least in my brother's campaign, with rare exception. I mean, like you had to come up with a diamond to resurrect somebody, right? You know, there would or be... or the
1: the pearl for an identify spell, right? The
3: hundred gold piece pearl, yeah. Yeah, When it was important, okay, but most of the time, you know, I I never played a magic user that had to, you know, go hunt for bat guano or toadstools or any of that stuff. Or a dried spider, or a live spider, or, yeah. Plus, the way I threw spells, it would have affected my encumbrance if we had done it that way, so. Yeah, well, that too.
1: Okay, my two. Alignment languages. Bah! (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, I gotta agree with you on that one <laughs> it's kind of
3: dumb
1: seriously that was an idea that just should have never come up and when it did it didn't work so bah
3: for those of you at home who don't speak curmudgeon alignment language ba uh-huh. means you should have thought harder bah. <laughs> <laughs> okay liz number one
0: number one okay i hate for my number one to kind of be ragging on part of the book. But as I've said before, when I was first reading through these, I was fascinated by all of it. But now as a jaded and tired player in my 50s, there are some sections that I was like, yeah, I could do without that. And, you know, (laughs) I at one point, you know, I'm going through getting ready for the show and I read this section title, Money Changing Banks, Loans and Jewelers. And my first. Impression is oh, for God's sake!
2: <laughs>
0: it's like, why is this here? <laughs> that sounds like something
1: that should be in the DM's guide.
0: I know. It's like, uh. if you if your character wants to take out a loan, it's like, no, my character does not want to take out a loan. This is not papers and paychecks. <laughs> <laughs> if I need money, I'm yeah, I'm gonna go to a dungeon, kill some monsters, and take their stuff. I'm not going to get a loan. <laughs>
2: Actually, that, that reminds me of the bit from, uh, oh, was it, um, Mel Brooks' History of the World when, uh, the gladiators up at the unemployment thing? <laughs> like, did you kill last week? No. Did you try to kill last week? Last week? week. Yeah. Yes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then you run into circumstances like our current campaign where we, Gathered all this money, invested in carpenters, having wood imported and everything for a townhouse to build inside the keep on the borderlands for us to be our base of operations. And at this rate, by the time it's built, we're going to be name level. Pretty much, we're, we're going to go find our own strongholds at that point.
2: Well, then, then you can sublease your condo in the borderlands
1: <laughs> <laughs> for a tidy sum.
2: <laughs> oh, sorry, that's that's B three sublet on the borderlands. <laughs>
3: When I go back and read this stuff nowadays, I'm always it's always with an eye of what were Gary's players doing to him to make him write this rule. So I like oh, you gosh. know I've got a Venn diagram in my head. Okay, first D and D playtest group, settlers of Catan. Okay, that middle <laughs> overlap yeah. area. Those are the guys that made this rule
2: happen.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I need
2: wood
3: for sheep.
0: You're killing me, BA. <laughs>
2: yeah. Okay, Corbett. Uh, my number one is actually my number one. It's probably the thing that I first like flip to when I first opened up the book uh, it's it's a full page image art piece uh, called paladin in hell it's on page 23 uh, honestly it was still it wasn't quite as over uh, overly amazing as I had p- remembered it in my mind after going back through it but it's still a pretty good picture of just you know guy in armor up on a ledge fighting I don't know four or five undead and it looks like a, it's just some cool stuff it's a great picture it's like that, that hopeless, heroic dynamic, and I love it. That's it. Okay. Jim? My number one. Uh,
3: Liz, bless you. I'm your biggest fan. You danced all around it, but you did not talk about the wish spell.
0: That's my number one, because <laughs> Yay.
3: what uh, Gary wrote, that ninth level magic user wish spell, is the I, my personal opinion, the single best and most concise spell write-up ever, and it's only a paragraph long. And, I, and I, I could read it, but I won't. But it basically is just like, okay, if you're healing hit points, bringing somebody back to life, or just teleporting the party away from danger, it automatically happens. Anything else, you better write it up like a six-figure attorney.
2: Because
3: <laughs> <laughs> what you what you say is what's going to happen. And it's, uh, there's so much d d mythology that sprung out of that in all our campaigns. The back and forth between the player and the DM all started by one little paragraph of type.
1: Bravo. Reminds me of a Knights of the Dinner Table where Brian finally got his a wish spell that he could use, and he pulls out of his suitcase a 20-page legal document that he had two lawyers review. And it's <laughs> all the precise terminology of the wish, and he had been waiting years to use it. So,
3: yeah. And when the DM of your main campaign is your younger brother, you know how that went.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: oh, Yeah.
3: It was As he war. is
0: gleefully looking for something to exploit.
1: <laughs> Anything, yes. Okay, my number one. Encumbrance. I don't think we ever even looked at this, much less used it. Even with the Delta Area Wargamers, and I know how wargamers can be a logistician's nightmare when it comes to to nitpicking Any little thing, exactly how many rectile thermometers you have in the party or whatever, (laughs) you know, just ridiculous amounts of detail. Campaigns of North Africa level detail. Even they were like, no, no, if it sounds reasonable what you're carrying, then you're carrying it, whatever. So, yeah. All right. Well, let's see what makes the save and what takes half. what makes a save and what is going to take half?
3: Now we're going to turn it around and start with Jim. <laughs> um, what makes a save is the first edition player's handbook is in many ways the golden mean by which all other player handbooks were measured and are still measured. The, the idea of a player's handbook, I can't think of it. There wasn't an RPG that had that before this. If there was, it was Traveler, and Traveler didn't, I don't think.
1: Nope. The closest they had was characters in combat, and it only roughly equated to
3: Men in Magic from the d d books. So, you know, you look at it 40 years later, okay, yeah, it's clunky, It's it's got this, it's got that, but this is where it all started mm-hmm. for role-playing games. You get your player's handbook, now here's some dice, go. Well put. Uh, Ask your DM what to roll. <laughs> what doesn't make the save... Testify with me, Sister Liz. Is that seven point five point? That seven point five point body copy text. <laughs> and don't even get me started on deciding to use Sans Serif as your main body copy font. Anyway.
0: Oh, oh my gosh! I had Liz, to pull Liz, I, the reading glasses.
3: <laughs> I was like Fritz Sanford in the reading glass drawer. I know I've got like the double powered ones here somewhere to read uh-huh. this thing in twenty twenty one, and uh, and I actually measured. The, uh, the 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 type because I wanted to know exactly how tiny it was because none of us ever go below 8 point these days and try to keep it to 9 or 10 if you can and this was 7.5
0: oh man yeah
3: <laughs> Wizards of the Coast reprint the 20 pl- e players
1: handbook but do it in like 15 point font or something do,
3: do what Joe Goodman <laughs> do exactly what Joe Goodman did with Metamorphosis Alpha blow it up to coffee table size for us please <laughs> yep <laughs>
0: Yeah, I remember thinking to myself as I was going through the book again. It's like, man, I remember when I had no problems reading this as a kid, and now I've got the reading glasses on. It's like, eh, you know,
3: it's a little skinny hardback. It's only 126 pages. Well, if you typeset it right, it would be twice that. Yeah. Okay.
2: Uh, Corbett, my makes a save is pretty much like Jim's. It it's a it's a hardback book. It was the first real hardback book. And it literally, quite literally, put the book on the shelf. Mm-hmm. It became a real book. It had that that tangible feel of, you know, I'm intelligent because I have a book, which I am reading, which has words. Which this has to be
1: serious. <laughs> but, this has to be a serious, be serious pastime. Yeah.
2: And my doesn't make the save is it has a hardback. <laughs> so... <laughs> Hey. It must be, you must be smart you must it was always a drawback for the game because nerd. like, oh, you gotta be a smarty person to know that like <laughs> it's just this fun game thing man if monopoly no. came a hardback book you would say the same thing uh, yeah, kids at home nerds are cool now <laughs> yeah not then not
1: then Nope,
2: but but I I, uh, I definitely concur with Jim. It's it's awesome because it was the very first like book, first book, like yeah. book, real book. Like you could Issue hit somebody in the face. Distributed real by book. Random House.
1: <laughs> so Walden books, all the major bookstores carried them.
2: Yep.
3: I want rules. that will do one d three damage when I smack you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Liz.
0: Ah, what makes the save? My favorite part of this book is there's a brief section after the spell lists and before the appendices, and it talks about the adventure, movement, surprise, um, the differences of traps and encounters, communicating with monsters and stuff, the art of negotiation. It goes into all this really cool stuff, basically giving new players, here are ideas of things you can try to do as a player that it may not occur to you that this is an option. Especially going into about how you can negotiate and how you don't have to fight everything. I mean, it specifically talks about how you can run away at times and it's okay. It's a viable thing that you can do if you feel you need to.
1: You can bribe monsters rather than fight them.
0: Even little helpful hints about, you know, if you become lost, you need to, you know, try and do this, avoid unnecessary stuff, you know, don't be sidetracked. Really tries to walk through. These are things that might happen to you. And this is stuff that you can keep in mind, you know, giving yourself options. I thought that was really useful and a really great part of the player's handbook. What does not make the save for me? Psionics! <laughs> I'm
2: going oh, to mention you brought it. Up.
0: I am going <laughs> to bring up Psionics. The
1: 800 pound gorilla in the room. Ah.
3: It's like shooting brain eaters in a barrel. I know. Yeah.
0: I mean, it just doesn't feel right in AD&D, and kind of how I feel about the monk class and why I never tried playing it. There's nothing inherently wrong with it, but to me it just kind of feels out of place in your standard pseudo-European fantasy setting. Personally,
1: I feel like this was a stealth spell point system.
0: Kind of. Which is kind of funny because at the beginning, again, in the preface, kind of (laughs) Gygax (laughs) poo-poos spell points. Yeah, And then, oh, and here's some spell points with psionics. Mike, you should
3: say that to Tim Cass, the very next con you see him at. You should say those exact words to him.
0: (laughs) As Jim backs away. (laughs) Psionics feels like superpowers to me. And you know, I'd be fine with them in a superhero type game setting, but I don't want them in my A D. And it, it just it feels weird and wrong to me and I don't like it. So <laughs> so that's my takes half, doesn't make the save, whatever you want to call it. Like, bleh. <laughs> <laughs>
1: okay. All right. My save. Until the publication of Unearthed Arcana, and we could certainly debate that one for a while, this was really all you needed to play. AD&D. It was it. I mean, as a player, this is it. No additional investment except maybe dice. The DM needed this, but also had the DM's Guide and the Monster Manual, but you only needed this book, and it compiled stuff that beforehand had been spread out in the Three Brown Books, in Greyhawk, and Blackmoor, in Eldritch Wizardry, in issues of the Strategic Review. So in that regard, it put everything in one concise package. And a well-built one. I mean, I have yet to see your your comment about the no covers on a player's handbooks. First time I've heard of any of these covers giving out. I think they were cut off. Yeah, I think and, they were cut off on purpose. In which case, yeah, that that's that. So so it's really well, you know, sewed in quality stuff. And for that, I think and like mentioned earlier, this was a milestone in the RPG hobby because it was a hardback. There were no rule books for any adventure game, role playing or wargame that was a hardback. So this gave it a certain level of prestige and durability that others hadn't had before. Doesn't make the save. Everything in the appendices. <laughs> Everything? <laughs> Everything. Bah. That was including a blanket the bard. Megabah. <laughs> I don't like bards. I like the strategic review bard. I thought they were useful. These are powerful if you can ever get there, as, the as you noted. About the
2: astral plane is in the appendix. That Jim will see you outside, sir. That <laughs> does
1: not need to be in the player's <laughs> handbook. That, if anything in this book, should be in the DM's guide. It's crap about the known planes and astral travel. I don't know what the heck it's doing in the player's handbook. I mean, if you're gonna... I think splitting it was was not feasible. But if you're gonna do it, why would you have that stuff in here? It just doesn't make sense to me. Page count?
3: You know, mm. they, had, they had to be unmarked. in plates of eight pages, maybe.
1: <laughs> okay, how about dumping those 20 pages and increasing the font size? Uh-huh. Just an idea. But anyhow, that's my grouse. And again, to make it clear to everybody, I love the AD&D Player's Handbook. It is always going to be one of my top five favorite game books. Period. If I was on a desert island, it's one of the five that I'd
3: I'd want with me. Buddy, I always style myself as something of a curmudgeon, but I just can't swim in the same pool as you and Tim. You come through with one <laughs> of your mega bars and it's boom, baby. <laughs> which is ironic since you're older than me. Which
1: just goes to show, age is a state of mind. So this has been the AD and D Player's Handbook. <laughs> On that awkward note. Yeah. If if you if you want to discuss our opinions, you can write us at saferhalfpodcast at gmail.com, and it will be read on a future show.
0: Tell us how
3: we're wrong. <laughs> oh,
2: actually. <laughs> Come
3: on. You know you want to. You know you want to.
2: What's our mailing address again? I forgot. Saferhalfpodcast at gmail.com? No, yeah, no, no. Saver not half, my. No.
1: Saferhalfpodcast at gmail.com.
2: Uh, okay. Sorry, it's been a while since you've drilled us on it.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, normally we leave them for the sideshows, but this being such a interesting topic, I think some people might have some opinions they want heard. So
0: <laughs>
1: say goodnight, everybody.
0: Good night. See ya.
3: Bye-bye.
1: Ask your DM which brie Arc will be right for your character. <laughs>
3: Oh wow, you were sitting on that for an hour and a half, weren't you? Oh,
2: yeah. <laughs> that was oh, good. Yeah.
3: And we're out. Yeah. This podcast is a production of the Mud Games Network and the Gagman Podcast. The Save for Half theme music is provided by the band Mississippi Bones. You can find them at mississippibones.bandcamp.com. All player characters mentioned in this podcast are fictional, and any resemblance to PCs living or dead is purely coincidental. No NPCs were armed in the making of this podcast. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on Save
2: for Half. I don say she